Good morning, everybody. Hey, today is a special day. Um, so you do not want to leave early today, I promise you. Uh, I, even if you get some hunger pains, it's worth it. Fast a little longer, you can make it. It is well worth your time to stick around well after my message. Uh, as Abby mentioned, I have been going through the book of Acts for a long time, uh, too many years it seems like, but we are headed towards the end. And uh, as I was reading the passage, I was remembered of this moment in my childhood that in some ways was transformational and in other ways was traumatic. When I was seven years old, I went to visit my great-great-grandma. That's right, my great-great-grandma. Up until I was nine years old, uh, my sister was one of five generations of women still living. It was kind of cool. And so we went to this nursing home uh, near her hometown, and I had never really been to a nursing home at that point, so I really didn't know what to expect. Little did I know what I was going to be in for when I got there. So a number of us went to visit my great-grandma, great-great-grandma, and when we walked into the nursing home, they invited us to go to this gathering room, sort of this recreational room for the, the residents that lived there. And we went in there, and there were a number of residents in there already. They were chatting. Some were playing, uh, watching television. Some were reading. And we were going to stay there, and then they were going to retrieve my great-great-grandma and bring her in there so we could visit with her. So as I walked into the room, someone to my left shouted, Come over here, David. Now, nobody knew what was going on, and I turned to her, and she said, Come over here, David. And she was looking right at me. And I thought, Is there a, da I don't, is there a David in this room? I'm I don't know. I, none of my cousins were David. There was a bunch of us there. There was no David. And she just kept looking at me, saying, Come over here, David. And so I looked at my mom. I'm like, Mom, I think she thinks I'm David. And she's like, Just go get, just go. So she's got her arms wide open, right? And she's like, David, come over here. Come give your grandma a hug. Now, my name is obviously not David, but she was looking right at me. My cousins are behind me snickering and laughing. My mom is nudging me. Just go give the woman a hug. And so when I locked eyes with her one more time, I, I looked at her and she said, it's so good to see you, David. Come and give grandma a hug. So with my cousins giggling behind me and my mom nudging me, I slowly moved my way toward this woman. She must have been in her 90s. I don't know. She was quite old. And so as I got close to her, within reach, she reached out and she grabbed me and she pulled me in and she kissed me straight on the lips. <laughs> I have never in my life been more scared or mortified or just completely confused as to what was happening in that moment. I mean, I was just like, what just happened? Did I really just have my first kiss with a 90-year-old woman who doesn't know me? This is not how I had imagined this would go. How in the world did I end up in that position as a young boy? To this day, my parents or my sister will get a good laugh out of this story. If they're watching online, I'm sure they're laughing right now. Now, looking back, I'm sort of glad that I did what I did, even though it was sort of traumatic. I've been through counseling. I'm okay now. <laughs> I mean, I know that it made that woman's day to, to smooch and hug me, even though she didn't know I wasn't actually her grandson. But I also realize how crazy things can get when there's a misunderstanding. And, and while I can laugh at it now, 
there are also a lot of instances of misunderstanding that we look back on and we can't really laugh at. There are actually a lot of misunderstandings in life can lead to a tremendous amount of pain and conflict. And don't you find that it's true that being misunderstood can be incredibly confusing? It can be incredibly frustrating. Don't you feel that when you feel like you're being misunderstood? I mean, we say something and people take it a completely different way, right? If you've ever posted something on social media, just watch the misunderstanding come about, right? We do something with a specific intention, but people think it's for a different reason. We're accused of things or we're mistaken, for someone's seven-year-old grandson when we've never even met the person and it causes some level of trauma in our life. Like these things happen. Being misunderstood can be incredibly confusing and frustrating. In fact, as I reflect on it, so much of the conflict that I have experienced in my life is the result of a misunderstanding, right? Not knowing all of the information or worse yet, somebody making an assumption about something that just isn't true. So it begs the question, what do we do when we feel like we're misunderstood? Or what do we do when we start to misunderstand somebody else? Is there a different response than I think our knee-jerk reaction, which is to get mad, to get frustrated, to lash out, to cause more conflict? Is there a better response that we could come up with as followers of Jesus that actually settle conflict, dissolve conflict, and bring greater understanding into the situation? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because we're going to look at a story in the Bible today that one man has to deal with all kinds of misunderstanding, and we're going to see the curious response that he has for it. So if you haven't done so yet, Open up your phone. Uh, we use the YouVersion Bible app, so you can follow along with everything I'm going to cover today. You can take notes in there. Uh, there's some discussion questions in there for your groups or if you want to talk about it at lunch today. If you have your Bible with you, we are going to be back in Acts chapter 21. Now, just a quick recap of where we've been just previously to this, for those of you who maybe weren't here last week. Uh, Paul has finally, the Apostle Paul has been traveling around the Mediterranean area, Asia Minor, Macedonia, Turkey, Greece, those areas, and he's making his way back to Jerusalem. And as he makes his way back to Jerusalem, many people are telling him, Paul, you do not want to go there. Bad news awaits you. There is grave danger in your future. But Paul knows, listen, this is what the Spirit is leading me to do. I know I got to go back there. I've been traveling the world, gathering up funds to be able to support the church in Jerusalem. I have to go to my brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem. And so he arrives, as we saw last week, and everybody's really excited about all the, the, the stories that he has to tell about the travels he's had around the Mediterranean. And then the elders and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they're like, hey, listen, there's a little bit of a problem. Some of our Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, they don't think that you actually um, believe in any of the Jewish traditions or rituals anymore. Y you sort of preach against them. You're sort of against them, and you're telling everybody, you don't need to follow this anymore. Uh, would you do us a solid? Would you just 
go to the temple and participate in this purification ceremony just so that it sort of smooths over all of the, the, the rumblings among our believers in the church so they know that, listen, you're not against them, you're for them, and if they want to participate in that, that's totally fine. Now, what's surprising is that Paul actually does it. I mean, Paul is a man of great conviction. He doesn't do anything without believing this is the right thing to do. But as we looked last week, Paul is a man who's always searching for common ground for people. And he just decides, you know what? If this was what it takes for us to be on the same level ground about who Jesus is and what he does, then, then I'll do it. And so he does. He goes to the temple and he participates in this purification ceremony. And we're going to pick up the story now and see what happens as this ceremony finishes. Y'all there? You ready? Acts 21, verse 27. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they'd seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. Now, one of the important details about Paul's arrival in Jerusalem is that it's happening during what is called the Festival of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was this great celebration of the first few weeks of the spring harvest immediately following Passover. And during Pentecost, thousands and thousands of Jewish people would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, even those from the province of Asia, like those accusing Paul. So the city is bustling at this time. It is filled with thousands and thousands of Jews who don't actually live in Jerusalem. Now, the Jews who incite this mob and say all these things about Paul are likely people who lived in an area that Paul had a giant influences. Because they know Trophimus, who's from Ephesus, it's likely they're from Ephesus. And because they're from Ephesus, well, they've seen some things with Paul. They know who this Paul character is. And I can only imagine what they're thinking as they're walking through the streets and they're like, wait, isn't that, isn't that Paul? Right? It's like when you go to the airport and you see somebody who's famous. You're like, wait, isn't that, isn't that Taylor? Right? <laughs> Does she go to airports? I don't know if she goes to airports. But if she did, you'd be like, isn't that, isn't that Taylor? Isn't that Travis? What, who, who is that? And then when you see him, if you really like, what do you do? You like, I want a selfie. I want an autograph. Right? Like that's what you do. Not these guys. They see Paul and they're like, we need to get this guy on the ground and beat him. This, this guy is bad news. And so they head after him with all of these false accusations about who Paul is and what he's doing. And then they incite this mob, verse 30. The whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out to the temple, out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. He's locked in. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Just imagine the scene for a second. 
Paul is taken out into the temple courts. They lock the gates behind him, and this mob of people start beating him, hitting him, kicking him. They're going to kill him. Unfortunately for Paul, security in Jerusalem is really, really high because of the festival of Pentecost. And if there's one thing that the Romans hate, it's incivility. So they intervene. Verse 33, then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing, some another. The people don't even know who this guy is. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress, which was right nearby where the temple was. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed him, shouting, kill him, kill him. Look, the crowds are so violent that Paul, Paul is now crowd surfing like he's at a Metallica concert. Right? They got to lift him up over their head to get him through these crowds who want Paul dead. They finally get him to the fortress. This is what happens in verse 37. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, May I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? Now, look, the, the Roman officer is just trying to make sense of this situation. He doesn't know who Paul is. Who is this guy? Why would everybody want this guy dead? What in the world are they so upset about? And I mean, Paul must be thinking, I don't, I don't understand what's happening myself. These people don't even know who I am. Doesn't anyone know who I am or what I've said? So he responds. Paul's like, listen, you don't know who I am. They don't know who I am. Let me just get this out in the open. So Paul says in verse 39, no, I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus and Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed, so Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet, and soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. I mean, the whole scene is chaos. In but a matter of minutes, Paul goes from sitting peacefully in the temple, performing this purification ceremony, to being beaten in the streets, to crowd surfing into this fortress. And it all began because of a misunderstanding. Paul is, in fact, misunderstood at least three different times in this very short passage. First, the group of Jews from Asia incite this whole thing because they believe that Paul preaches against the Jews, disobeys the Jewish law, and speaks against the temple. None of those are true. Paul never does any of that. He's got some opinions on things. He's got some different interpretation in light of Jesus, but he never preaches against the Jews. He's in the temple performing a ritual, a ceremony, right? Paul's heart for the Jewish people is enormous. He wants nothing more than for them to understand their good and gracious God who sent Jesus Christ to the world. He, after all, is Jewish himself. These accusations come from this deep misunderstanding of Paul and his mission. But then the same group then accuses Paul of bringing Trophimus into the temple, 
which by the way is an act that is prohibited and results in that person's death and possibly the person that brought them as well. But the text says these words. Did you remember? Did you hear the words? They assumed. And you know what happens when we do that. And then finally, to cap things off, even the Roman officer has no idea who he is, completely misunderstands him for some revolutionary against the Roman Empire. Listen, if anyone ever felt misunderstood, it was Paul. He is getting beaten and crowd serving because of a variety of misunderstandings about who he really is and what he's really all about. Now, look, if it were me, I would most likely have gone to the Roman officer and said, what is the quickest way out of this city? Right? You might have done the same thing. Like, I've had about enough. I'm not, you know, I'm going to live to see another day. Is there some sort of trap door in this fortress that would get me out of this city? Could I take that? But that is not Paul's first instinct in the midst of all the conflict brought on by misunderstanding. Instead, what does he do? He asks the officer, let me talk to them. Let me talk to him. Now, this is risky for a lot of reasons. It's a bit like you know, putting someone on the stand who's committed a major crime like murder. Attorneys don't do that. They don't put them on the stand. They don't want them to say something stupid that's going to get them severely sentenced to life or even death themselves. Paul is taking an enormous risk by saying to this officer, I want to talk to these people. But there's something Paul knows that is driving him to stand and to speak to them. Because Paul is aware that in light of all the false accusations and misunderstandings and conflict, there is one thing that he has to pursue at all costs. He has to pursue peace. He's got to. He's got to. He knows that this is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He can't just slip out and let the church in Jerusalem pick up all of his mess. He knows that when conflict arises, he has a responsibility to do everything within his power to make peace. In fact, he would write about this later in life when he'd write a letter to the church in Rome. And he would say this in chapter 12. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And so as he steps forward to the crowds and he begins to speak to them, Paul must be thinking of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And in that moment, Paul shines a light on a different way to deal with the conflict brought on by misunderstanding in life. He shows us a different way, a better way. I mean, isn't it true that so much of the conflict we experience in life is brought on by misunderstanding? For Paul, this led to being beaten in the streets and crowds yelling, kill him. But for us, this can come in all sorts of forms. And when it happens, the best option available to us, as Paul examples, as Jesus talks about, is to do all that we can within our power to make peace. 
You know, in a lot of couples, family, couples or family counseling or therapy, the end goal is rarely to resolve conflict. The end goal, the primary goal, is to help the couple or the family members understand each other better. And the counselor knows if, that if you learn to understand each other better, peace will begin to reign in your, in your family and in your home. The counselor helps them find a way to pursue peace with each other through better understanding. Now, I know that some of you in this room, many of you in this room, feel terribly misunderstood today. It's maybe in your marriage you feel misunderstood or in your workplace, in your friendships, maybe even in your faith. And it's possible that a lot of those misunderstandings have caused enormous conflict in your life and in the lives of others. And there are some of you who are here today and I know you, and, and the people in your life, they're not even sure why you keep showing up to Genesis on a Sunday morning. They keep questioning you and have made up all sorts of unfair scenarios of you. They, your exploration of Jesus has left you being misunderstood. So, so I want to offer some hope in the midst of all of the misunderstandings of life. And the hope is this. The peace is possible. Peace is actually possible, but it must be pursued. It will not just come to you. Try it. It doesn't work. Paul knows this, this situation is not going to get resolved if I just slip out and leave. It's only going to get worse. Peace is possible, but it, it has to be pursued. Waiting for it to happen will only bring further conflict and further misunderstanding. So take it from Paul. When misunderstandings surface, pursue peace at all costs. Misunderstandings, conflict, it's just a way of life in our world. They happen all the time. And when they do, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can either fight, we can either take flight, or we can pursue peace. And only one of those options has the possibility of restoring understanding, resolving conflict, and allowing peace to re-enter whatever situation you may be in. Now listen, you won't want to miss next week because we're going to actually look and see what Paul has to say to the crowds and what happens but for now, I just want to remind you of something that I say all of the time around here because I think it's critically important when we consider what it might mean for us to pursue peace in our respective worlds. Wherever there might be misunderstanding in your life, whether it be with family members or friends or work, your work colleagues, whatever it might be, there is something that I want you to be reminded of and to place your trust in, to place your faith in as you pursue peace in your world. And that's this, that Jesus has never asked us to do something he didn't first do himself. Don't forget that. You are not alone in this. Jesus, look, he has never asked you to do something he didn't first do himself. And so to all of you who feel misunderstood or are in the midst of relational conflict and need some sort of hope or pursuing peace in your life, I want you to hear that again. 
You're not alone because Jesus has never asked you to do something he didn't first do himself. Nobody was and is as misunderstood as Jesus. Throughout his short life, he was constantly being falsely accused and questioned. People made all sorts of assumptions about who he was and what he was trying to do in the world. And throughout all of it, what does Jesus do? He pursues peace at all costs. He finds ways to explain himself and to build bridges with people. Even when the peace doesn't resolve itself, he keeps at it. He finds ways to help people better understand who he was and what he came to do. Even in the last moments of his life, as he's been falsely accused, tortured, and placed upon a cross, Jesus pursues peace at all costs. And it costs him everything. It was through his death that peace, ultimate peace, would be accomplished. Through all of the misunderstandings and all the false accusations, Jesus would pay the ultimate price so that we might experience peace forever and ever with God through him. Jesus never asked you to do something he didn't do himself first. So when misunderstandings surface, take it from Paul, learn it from Jesus, pursue peace. Be gentle and kind, be gracious and merciful. But pursue peace. It is well worth your time and effort. And I'm telling you, and you know this, if you choose to either fight back or take flight, peace will never enter into the situation. So why does Paul stamp before, I don't know, thousands of Jews yelling, kill him? Because he knows, he knows, as a follower of Jesus, it is upon me to do everything in my power to bring peace to the misunderstanding and conflict. Learn it from Jesus. Take it from Paul. When misunderstandings and conflict arise, step to the edge and pursue peace. Let's pray. God, I, um, I confess that... Uh, I'm a fighter. When there's misunderstanding and conflict, I know that in my own self and my flesh and my sin, I, I like to fight. And I know that many of us in this room, when it happens, we like to run away. And I know that both of those options, well, they ultimately don't resolve anything. And it's not who you've called us to be. There's a better way. It's difficult. It's challenging. It takes courage. And so I just pray, God, that you would give us the courage and the audacity that when misunderstandings and conflict arise, that we would step to the edge like Paul and we would pursue peace. At least for all that it depends on us, even if it doesn't accomplish what we'd hope, I, God, I just pursue, I pray that we would pursue it in faith, knowing that this is this is what you've called us to be in this world. We have been called to be peacemakers. And so when there are misunderstandings, may we be peacemakers. 
When there is conflict, may we bring peace to the situation. And may we always remember that we follow in your footsteps, Jesus. That this is what you came to do, to bring peace between our God and a broken world. May we pursue that at all costs in our lives, in our hearts and our minds. Lord, I know that there are people in this room right now who are not at peace. They feel misunderstood. They feel like they're in a battle in their own life. I I pray that you would reveal yourself to them this morning. God, that they would see you who you really are, that they would be able to cut through all of the misunderstandings and the assumptions about you and see that you are the one who came to bring peace for them through the forgiveness of sins, the death upon the cross that brought it all about. And the Bible says that if we just believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, that God brings peace to us, salvation to us through Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and God is prompting you to that, I just pray that you would say yes to the invitation to allow Jesus and his sacrifice to bring peace in your soul this morning. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for you. We are grateful for stories like this that that seem sort of random and chaotic, but God, there there is a deep mine of truth in it. And so as we walk into the world, we walk into all the misunderstandings and the conflict of life, I pray, God, that you would keep it on our minds, that we have been called to pursue peace, that we have been called to be peacemakers in our world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.